Good morning. How many of you, just kind of, so I know kind of where everybody's coming from, how many of you have, have gone to this church seven years or less? Raise your hand if you've been here seven years or less. Okay, so a good, good portion of you. Um, I think that's the last time I was here talking specifically on this. I've been here a few other times uh, with Pastor Dwight at prophecy conferences and things like that. But um, anyway, those of you that, that were here, I think the last time we were here was in 2016 uh, when I had my whole family with me. Um, just a little news, my, my two oldest daughters that were with us and singing up here and everything, they got married um, September 1st of 2017 in a double wedding to two brothers uh, from a, a family we've been friends with for years, another singing family that travels around and sings and talks and things, and uh, which was a lot of fun. And what's amazing is uh, uh, several different things. And some of you young people that aren't married yet, I got to see in my daughter's what a blessing it is when you do things God's way. Just, they, they were so pure and innocent and how God blessed them in that to give them two young men that were the exact same way. Um, it was just, it was special to see, boy, it really pays off to do things God's way. And so I just want to encourage you, don't, don't think that you have to do what the culture is telling you to do. Uh, if you do it the way it's in here, you will be glad that you did forever. And so it was neat to see that. And then uh, just a special gift from God. Then they had their first babies 12 hours apart. They were in the rooms next to each other in the hospital. And my wife was loving it and going in one room back and forth, back and forth, checking on them and stuff. So anyway, it was just a special. So I've got a little grandson and a granddaughter now, which is very special, thankful for God's blessings. Um, I think God intended the family being rooted in the church to be a bright light um, just in and of itself, where it, just the operation of the father, the mother, the children, the relationships, the hierarchy of authority, um, the respect going up to the authority of honoring your parents and in obedience to them. The world sees that and they can't figure that out. But they know it's good. They can see the fruit of it. Um, and, um, and then the, the fact that Lord willing, it's, it's multiplying each generation. So a family that's just faithful with that, even if they're not, they never did any big thing, they never went to Africa, they never went, they just were faithful, sharing the gospel with the people that God put into their circle and raising those kids, teaching, training, mentoring, discipling, and then those kids, and then not only teaching them that, but teaching them to, giving them the vision of doing that with their children. So it keeps going. It doesn't have to fall off the tracks every other generation. Um, it just, and then it keeps multiplying. Hopefully God's blessing them with children and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And it's just, it's a neat thing. And I just, I'm thankful that uh, for, for the children God's blessed me with and my wife and family. And so Anyway, but it's great to be back here, and I, I appreciate you, and I'm so thankful. It's a, this is another church that believes the Bible is everything. It's, it, there's nothing apart from this. This is all the source of all wisdom and all truth, and if the more we learn it and learn to practice it, um, the, the brighter our light will shine because um, we're supposed to be different. And we're supposed to be, the Bible calls us a peculiar people. And, uh, but the world, when they're looking for answers, they're looking for something different. They realize their way didn't work. And so they, they, they're they wanting us to be different. The ones that are starting to feel uneasy about, man, I don't think I have the answers. What, why are we here? What's going on? They're looking for the guy that sticks out a little bit um, because they know maybe he's got an answer that I don't have. And so... Um, take the opportunities to do that. I'm going to kind of tell you just uh, a testimony of God's faithfulness to us as a family because we obeyed. And my point in telling you this is to show you God is alive and well today, and I know you know that, but I think a lot of times we think the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Daniel and David, that, boy, he, he was pretty amazing back then. He's still pretty amazing. 
okay? You can't forget that. And he can take you and do something amazing because he's amazing. It's not because you are. I mean, it's obedience. He's the one that always does the miracles. We just have to be faithful to obey. Moses held up his staff and the Red Sea parted. Moses had nothing to do with the Red Sea parting, but he did have to do, he did have to hold up his staff like he was commanded to do by God so God could part the Red Sea. Um, and so he, he always uses us in his work. And I, so I, that's what I hope as I go through some of this stuff that it, 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 it shows to you that you have an important mission. You young people, if at your age you were to tell God, God, I'm giving you my life. I'll do anything you ask. Just please make it clear. You would be, by the time you're my age, you would be blown away what he had done. I didn't do that till I was like 32, but I look back since 32 and I go, man, all the things he's done in my life that I just, I'm amazed that he did them. I know I didn't do them. He always picks those that, <laughs> that don't have that much to offer because he knows I'll, I'll be clear to get the credit on this thing. And that's what he does though. So don't think, well, I just don't have anything. That's okay, you don't. <laughs> and the people that even think they do, they don't. But God can do the miraculous. Um, you already read in Ephesians 6 there earlier about, you know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's important to remember. The battle we are in in our country and in our Christian lives, it's a spiritual battle. I think that's becoming clearer every day when we see the unbelievable nature of the things happening in America, a country we'd never thought some of these things would be happening. Um, and so, uh, but I also want to read uh, to you Matthew 5, uh, starting in verse 10, a few verses. Matthew 5, verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Dear God, just I pray that you'll help me to clearly communicate the responsibility and duty you've given us as your children here on this earth and that they'll be encouraged and uplifted by just the example of what you've done in my life with my family. And I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're supposed to be the light. It's getting pretty dark in America, right? I mean, there's just so many things that are just so heavy and oppressive and, well, Here's the reality. <laughs> when you come, on a, and come into a dark room and turn on the lights, what happens? <laughs> the darkness leaves, right? Does it have a choice? No. <laughs> it has to leave. <laughs> you turn the light on, it has to go. It cannot stay. Even if it wants to, it cannot stay. When that light, the bright lights come on, it's gone. And it cannot come back in as long as the light is on. Ameri what has happened to America, and I'm going to go through some of what I found, is happened because the churches in America about 70 years ago, 80 years ago, started pulling out. They started believing the lie that we were supposed to stay inside the four walls of the church with our religion and, and not bring it outside. And we started, oh, okay, I'm sorry, didn't mean to offend you. And we started to do that. So the light started disappearing from our country and the darkness started, the shadows started getting longer and slowly darkness filled the land. Okay, and, and all of us have some responsibility in that. So we need to repent. 
We need to go before God as Christians and go, God, I'm sorry that I haven't shined my light like you would want me to, representing you. Why am I doing it? <laughs> that they may glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's why we shine our lights, not to look good or feel good. Or That's why the, the, the liberal mentality that is in rebellion against God, they go feed the poor, do all this stuff. They're doing it to look good and to feel good. Well, that's sin. They're going to find out when they stand for God, that is sin because it's done out of pride for yourself. When you go feed the homeless and you're doing it to feel good about yourself or to look good to others, that's sin, okay? But if you do it as a Christian because you love them because you realize God died for them and I need to, he's given me plenty of examples in here, I need to be looking after the poor, then it's a wonderful thing. And then when you're giving, helping them out, you're telling them, do you know why I'm doing this? Because Jesus saved me, and I love you now. He's just giving me, his love is overflowing out of me. It's making me love you. It's all from him, and it makes him look really good, which is our job here on earth. And so that's, that's what, what we have to do. Now, just going into uh, some of the things God's done over the last few years in our life, Back in 2005, I started, I've read some good books on the family and stuff, and we had, uh, at that time, I think we had five children, and I have nine total, but um, we had five children, and I started to realize they were all still young. I just, from books I read and stuff, I realized, boy, the huge responsibility I have as a father. It just started to get heavy on me where I realized, I read a book, and I recommend it to you fathers. It was called A Father's Reward by Phil Downer. I read that book and all of a sudden a light went on. I'm like, oh, that's what a good father is. I didn't really know. I had a good father, but I realized I needed to be more engaged in my children's life and having relationship with them and stuff and influence. And I read that and things, God just got a hold of my heart. And I was in the restaurant business at the time. We had a restaurant in, in Boise, Idaho. And I was doing that and I just, for about a year or so, I just got heavy. I'm like, I need to come home and spend more time with my family. And kept praying about that. I go, God, could I come home and do something from home maybe so I have more time with them? And uh, about a year, year and a half went by. And one night I was in the restaurant and a man came in and he said, "Uh, will you sell me this place? And it wasn't for sale or anything. And it was really interesting because I just felt God's, conviction, everything. I, just, I knew he was saying, I'm letting you out. And so I, we talked for a few weeks and stuff and ended up selling. It wasn't even that good a price, but it was just, I just knew God was saying, okay, it's time to come home. I did not know what I was going to be doing, but I knew the desire of my heart was to spend more time with my children. And I knew God was providing someone for this restaurant. So I was like, God, I know you know what I'm doing next. Just let me know what it is. Um, and, and so I sold the restaurant and came home. Well, for several months, I, I kind of just relaxed intentionally because I'd been working really hard for about 12 years or so doing the restaurants. And I just had so much fun with the kids and my wife and kind of, we, we homeschool our kids. So we, I got way more involved in that and teaching them a lot of the things I knew. And, um, and then what's so neat is that was 2006, uh, a few months later, in 2007, uh, and this is, again, an example of being willing to show up and do something. I, I, once I stopped doing the restaurants, it had been uh, evening, kind of a fine dining type restaurants, and, and so I was going every evening. And so I finally wasn't, and, and I remember when I first sold the restaurants, I thought, you know, I probably need to go in our area. I just thought I need to go maybe to the Republican meetings or whatever once a month. I'm always complaining about all the bums they have running. So I, I should at least show up as a Christian man. You know, it's one hour a month and just be there to stand for the truth. I mean, that was my only intent in going. I thought if I'm there and a bad idea comes up, I can at least raise my hand and go, here's a reason I don't think we should do that. And here's why, you know, one man disagrees with that. Or if it was a good idea, I thought I should be there as a man, as a Christian man, shining my light in that area of our, of our country. And I should just say, hey, I think that's a great idea. And I think it, it goes along with the founding principles of America or whatever. That was my only intent in going. 
Well, God had other plans. Within 11 months of just showing up to my first meeting, it's just, so I was at 11 meeting, one-hour meetings, um, the governor called me to appoint me to be the state representative for my district because someone had been elected and they stepped down because they had a health problem and right after they got elected. And so I became, all of a sudden I'm a state representative. I'm like, what do they do? You know, I'm like trying to, but it was so clear because it's something I did not want to do. But my wife had told me when I saw the man that had stepped down, I said, man, I hope we get, it was a Republican, but he was pro-choice. He was just a bum. And I said, man, I hope we get someone decent to represent us. And my wife said, you ought to do it. We need good people in there. I'm like, I have no interest in doing something like that. But then I prayed about it and I realized, you know, and God started to convict me. If good men aren't willing to do it, of course we're never going to have any good people in there. I mean, you have, even though it's, and it's supposed to be a duty. It's not supposed to be a career. It's not supposed to be a lifelong pursuit. It's supposed to be a service to your country. Um, those things just flip over every two or four years where, hey, I did my turn. Someone else come in here and do this. And um, so I did. But out of that, it was, um, <clears throat> it was amazing because uh, I got thrown right into that. And I was in Idaho again which is probably at that time was the most conservative state in the nation. We had an 85% majority of Republicans in the House, the Senate, and the governor. So I was excited. I thought, you know what? We are going to make Idaho the example for America. We're going to change the entire country with this little state because we're going to do thing, pass legislation to, to, to make it the way it's supposed to be, and other states will see that and follow suit, which they always do. It's like dominoes. They're, everyone's so cowardly. They wait till a state does something, and then 30 states the next week do the same thing. They just, they're all shaking in their boots. But um, so, uh, you know, so I was in there, and it, it was just a wake-up call the first week in there. All of a sudden, I mean, just a, something that's in our platform of, you know, we're for small business, anything that helps small business. So we have a bill to help small business, and you can't get it through there. I'm like, we've got 85% majority. What's going on? And I just realized something is going on in this country, and I started to dig in and study. And one thing that happened that kind of propelled me into this is, January of 2008, my wife was pregnant with Chapman, who's back there with me today. Um, and I, every, every month I'd written a letter to the editor on a different topic um, and just letting my people that I'm representing know what I believed in and everything. And so in January, I was going to do something on abortion, Roe v. Wade, because the anniversary of that. And my wife said, why don't you just do something not controversial this month so when we walk into the hospital, you're not on the cover of the paper? I said, okay. I didn't want to stress her out. So I said, okay. And somehow God blinded us to, I said, well, why don't I do it on that meeting I went to, you know, 20 years ago, that, that meeting of the Communist Party. And, and so we did it on that. Needless to say, when we walked into the hospital, it was the seventh straight day in a row I was on the headlines of the paper. And, um, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about what that was. <clears throat> in 1992, this is what first opened my eyes. Things are going on that I wasn't aware of. In 1992, um, an older gentleman, friend of my father's, he, called, he had been studying communism and stuff since the 50s. And he saw that they were having a meeting at the University of California, California uh, Berkeley, and um, and he did he couldn't go. He goes he sold 15 million copies of books with his picture on it, anti-communist. But he goes, I can't go to the meeting. They'll know who I am. Could you just go and listen and tell me what they say? I'm just curious because again, remember historically. Remember in 1989 the Berlin Wall came down, and then in 1991 December of 91, you know the Soviet Union dissolved and said, oh we're done. And so this is the summer of 92. Six months later, and he goes, what are they meeting for if it's all done? So I went to this meeting. At this meeting for three days, probably 12 hours a day in lectures and breakout sessions, uh, a lot of things happened. One is when I went in, I thought, it, since it was at Berkeley, I thought, oh, it's going to be all college radicals. And so I kind of got bought a shirt that talks, said something about a revolution <laughs> and all this stuff, you know, and got the ratty jeans or whatever, thought it was going to be a big whatever. And I show up and I go, go in there. And it is 13 or 1400 
50, 60, and 70-year-olds with briefcases. And I was like, I was like the only young person there almost. I was like, wow, what is this? So I listened for three days, and they outlined this strategy. They were disappointed what had happened in the Soviet Union, but they said, we can still take America down. And they, this is what they outlined. They said, we need to finish off the families. And to hear them talk about these things was amazing because they said, we've got to destroy the family, which is the most evil man-made institution ever invented. It slaves women. It brainwashes children. <laughs> you know, they're, they're talking about these things like, and just pounding the pulpit like pastors. I mean, sweating. I can still picture this one old guy. I mean, just, you know, like, good night. This is a religion to them, which it is. And, and so they said to, to get the family we need to continue to push the feminist movement, which is making women discontent with marriage and motherhood, because we want those kids. Everything was about, we want the kids. We don't care about the old fogies, they'll die off. We want the children. And so, and then they said, um, to, to destroy the free enterprise system, which is so evil in this country, what we need to do, and this is 1992, this is 27 years ago, they said, we think the only thing capable of destroying the free enterprise system in America is if we get behind the environmental movement. We can create so much regulation that will drive business out of America, and it just will not be able to, the economy will collapse. And I thought, I remember writing in my notes, what are you talking about? I, I couldn't even perceive that at the time, because in 92, you know, there was a few people chaining themselves to trees in Oregon. or something. I mean, it was just so fringe. You're like, how would you use this to actually shut down business. It didn't even make any sense to me at 25 years old. Um, and then the last thing, they said we've got to, if, if we're going to allow us to be truly free, we've got to get rid of the moral foundations of America. And we think the only thing capable of finishing off this false Christian morality is if we can get Americans to accept homosexuality. That's 1990 to 27 years ago. They knew what made us great. Our families, our free system where we can be productive and use our talents God has given us, and our morality. I mean, what did, what did uh, John Adams, the second president of the United States, say? He said, our Constitution is made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. They knew that. They go, if you take the morality and religion out, it will collapse. <laughs> the, the Constitution will not work because men that don't fear God and are not moral, they can't be this free and survive. They will destroy themselves. And that's what we see. We're disintegrating from within because if you don't have the moral chains of responsibility to God on you, man is capable, as we're seeing, Going to New York, I mean, I'll let the baby be born and then we'll decide if he can live or not. That's just a natural result of sinful man that is shaking his fist in the face of God as if he were the creator of that child. And he decides if it lives or dies. I mean, that, that's where we're getting, but it's, it's from that. Well, I wrote some of that <laughs> in a letter to the editor and the next day, people were protesting at the Capitol, demanding I resign and everything else. Just the radical fringe. The reality was every call I got at my home or letter, at least 100 people going, we are so proud of you for everyone that said, oh, you're hateful, you're whatever. Um, so the people were totally behind me, but the media made it look like everyone was against me and everything. And so my poor wife had to walk into the hospital worried the nurses are going to do something to our baby or whatever. So anyway, God protected us and she, she was okay. But, um, but that happened. But, but something that changed my life is a man, it, it, the, the paper there that's been there 100 years, they said they had more response to my letter to the editor than anything they've ever printed in 100 years. And um, I think they, 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 they printed, like, I think, 40-some letters to the editor responding to what I had said, and who knows how many hundreds they actually got. But um, most of them were in my favor, but some, a lot of them were written by the, a lot of these fringe radical leftist groups. Um, and, but one of them, an old man wrote, he said, what Representative Bowers said is true, 
but it's nothing new. It was all written in a book in 1958. And I called that man, I go, what are you talking about? And he told me the name of the book. It was a book called The Naked Communist by Cleon Skousen. And Cleon Skousen had been an FBI agent in our country, and he had, him and other agents had gone in undercover into all the communist cells throughout America back in the 40s and 50s, just listening to what what's, they were undercover, what's going on, what are they talking about? And he came up, and then he printed in the book, here's a list of 45 current goals. These are the 45 main things that these groups are talking about trying to do to our country to bring us down. This is 1958. And so what I'd heard in 92 was nothing new at all. It was just a continuation of what, it was more of a focus on it since they weren't going to be able to take us over militarily. They thought, well, we'll just finish what we've already been working on for 50 years. But I'm going to read you just a couple of these goals. So again, you see, this is a spiritual battle. Or wrestle not, right, against flesh and blood. And this is why we have to let our light shine. Goal number 17 1958, I mean, think what America was like if you were even alive then. I wasn't. But, you know, remember, leave it to beaver, you know, whatever. Um, Goal 17, get control of the schools, use them as transmission belts for socialism, soften the curriculum, get control of teachers' associations. They've done all that decades ago. You know that, right? They're, they're, they're brainwashing our children in the school, indoctrinating them. It's a lot worse. And parents, I know this is sobering because there's an responsibility for knowing things, but I know you know this. But the difference, if you're just not taught the truth, that's one thing. But when you're indoctrinated, which means you're deceptively taught a lie, but in a brainwashing type fashion, um, where it's hard for you to accept the truth after that. It, it's just, it's so evil. And that's what's happening. It's a brainwashing. It is not just bad information where later you show them, hey, look, this is really the truth, where they can go, oh, I didn't know that. Um, it doesn't work that way because I've tried to, many college students, I love young people, I'll go talk to them about the environmental movement or whatever. And when you show them the truth, I'll tell, ask them what they believe and listen carefully, and we have a nice conversation, then I'll show them the truth. And they don't go, you're kidding. Well, why did they tell us? They don't do that. You know what they do? I'm thinking of one 25-year-old I was talking to. Talking about the environment, he told me what he thought the problem was, and I showed him through statistics. Here's the actual National Weather Association's information. Okay, this is for the last 150 years here. And I showed him the truth. And he didn't go, Wow. Amazing, like I thought. He said, he put his fingers in his ears and started yelling at me, get away, get away, get away. A guy had had a nice conversation for 10 minutes with, talking, laughing, and I was like, what is going on? And then I realized, one, he's been brainwashed. And when you're brainwashed, you can't accept the opposite of that. You only can accept what you've been taught. But the second thing is, he, we have allowed them to teach our children now for 50 years in the schools, there's no right and wrong. There's no God. With God, of course, there's no purpose then or ultimate design or anything. And so we've taught them things are so meaningless. One, suicide rates have skyrocketed. But the second thing is the left has been able to package these causes in such a way it sounds like some noble thing. Hey, let's, let's save the planet. Well, that sounds pretty noble if it was true. Let's say that. And so it's made them sitting ducks for any movement that comes along because they want purpose in life because God designed us to have purpose in life. And so when they were going to say, but so I realized me holding up that chart, he looked at it and he realized if I accept what that man says, I've lost my purpose in life. And get away from me, get away from me. I can't take it. And I was like, oh my goodness. So the good news is we have to show them the truth that there is purpose in life. There is truth. There is a reason why you were knit together inside your mother's womb. (laughs) You have a purpose. And it's much more important than saving the planet or something, which God's already done that. 
<laughs> okay? And so, anyway, that was something that was very sobering to me. A couple of other ones here, just to show how they got what, what John, uh, Samuel Adams said. I mean, actually, John Adams, I'm sorry. <laughs> John Adams was the second president. Um, and so, uh, listen to this. Again, 1958, goal number 24, eliminate all laws governing obscenity by calling them censorship and a violation of free speech and free press. They knew if you have an obscene culture, it's just going to collapse over time. From within, we don't have to do anything. It just collapses. I mean, to show how far we've come, I remember, this is just even blows me away when I think about it. I remember early 70s, I was probably seven or eight years old, uh, in Tampa, I was born and raised in Tampa, Florida. I was, it was Ma's brothers and a little strip mall. My mom went in to get some ladies' items, whatever. So she had me just stand outside on the sidewalk and wait for her to finish shopping. So I was just standing out there, and there was a man on the other side of the doorway that was just rough. I mean, he just tattooed head to toe, which back then was not normal. I mean, that was that was a very rare thing. I I, I couldn't believe because I'd never hardly even seen that, and just a rough guy. And he was talking to a guy next to him. And he used the word hell. And a lot of you, even now, we've been so, you know, desensitized. You think, well, so? Well, this is how it was different back, you young people, in 1973, probably. I remember standing there, and I'll never forget it because it scared me to death. All of a sudden, I saw him turn and look at me, and he walked right over to me, bent down, and started to talk to me. I remember him looking at me. I didn't know what he was going to say or do, or I was just scared. And this is what he said. Son, I'm so sorry for saying that. I didn't see you standing there. <laughs> he said the word hell, and he knew, oh, there's a, young, there's a kid there. I'm so, I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me? A guy that was, I mean, you'd think he wouldn't have known the difference between. That's how America has changed. We had such a Christian culture then that a guy that, that knew he was doing what was wrong and chose to do what he wanted to do, but he knew you don't do it in front of a lady or a young man. Uh, I might talk like that with my buddies, but I'm not saying that in front of a lady and a young man. And so I just, that's how much we've changed. And we don't realize it because it's been slow gradualism over decades of time. And we've embraced things I don't think we should be embracing as Christians. Because God's word does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just because the culture changes doesn't mean we need to change with it. Um, here's another one. <laughs> Goal number 25, break down the cultural standards of morality by promoting pornography in books, magazines, motion pictures, radio, and TV. In 1958, it was a crime if you had something pornographic in your home. And pornographic meant suggestive, which means any of the covers of any woman's magazine today at Walmart or any other store, every single one of those covers would have been triple X pornography and you'd have gone to jail if you even had that in your home. And now it's just right out there for our kids to stare at and look at. That's how much we've changed. But they knew, and we've now lived long enough to see the change, but see what's happened. Has it been good fruit from the change? The freedom to look at whatever you want, whenever you want? No, it's collapsing our families, our culture, our, just tumbling. Because God said, don't look at that. A man shouldn't look at a woman. Uh, and so it's, it's, that's what's happened. And it just, it, it's just, it's amazing as you go through these things. Well, I read that list in 2008, 50 years after it was written for the first time, and my temperature started to boil I was like your enemy gives you the list of what they want to do to you and you let them still do it I called my dad and said dad did you read the naked communist oh, of course he goes that was a big seller back then I go why didn't you do something and he said you know I we did and he did they were always active on everything I said man I I never, you get a list, and this goes into everything from our State Department to our schools to our eliminating prayer out of the schools and stuff that hadn't been done yet. It says we've got to get prayer out of the schools, and of course then it happens. On out, how to destroy the family, make divorce easy, on and on and on, all the things, and they've done all of them now. 
And I, I just, I, I started, I go, people need to know about this. And I started to be, I was like, some, I thought, man, if I knew a filmmaker, uh, they could make a film on this. This is so important to wake up the church to what has happened under our watch. And anyway, about six months went by and uh, I started to be more and more convicted that I was supposed to make a film on this. Now, I've never made a film in my life. But I just, he started to convict my heart. And I was like, God, I don't know how to make a film. He goes, I want you to make a film. I don't know how to make, I want you to make a film. And I'm so thankful I said, yes, sir, I'll make a film, but you better help me. And as a homeschool, I remember the, the day I came to my family and I said, uh, again, so I've stopped being the representative now, that ended, and I there don't have a job or anything, no income. And everyone's like, my wife, and everyone, what are we doing next? And I said, well, God wants us to make a film. <laughs> she goes, are you sure? <laughs> Nine kids and no income. And I said, no, we've got some savings from the restaurant and stuff. We can last a couple years. We need, to, we need to make a film. And that night as we were saying our prayers, one of my boys, who was only five at the time, Christian, he had heard that there was this big Christian film festival. We'd talked about it before, not in relation to our movie, but we just talked about it. that was neat that there's this big Christian film festival in Texas that has a $101,000 grand prize for the best of festival and, and all this stuff. And his little mind, when he just heard today, Daddy said he's going to make a film. I mean, I don't have a camera yet. I don't have a script. I don't know what I'm doing. But he, oh, Daddy's making a film. Oh, remember that big film fest we heard about? So his, and when we're praying before we go to bed, he said, dear God, help Papa's film to win the festival. <laughs> and we all start laughing in the middle of the prayer. Like, is he talking about that film festival in Texas? And we just started laughing. And then we kept praying and, and went to bed and didn't think about it again. Well, a couple of days later, my daughter, who was 15, my oldest daughter, she said, Daddy, um, why don't we fast and pray this Friday that your film wins that festival? I was like, oh, okay, sweetie, that, that sounds like a great thing to do. And, you know, I didn't know what to say as a father. You don't, you don't want to discourage that, but you also don't want to act like you can just get whatever you want whenever you want because it doesn't work that way. But so we fasted and prayed that our first film that hadn't started on yet will win the largest single cash prize film festival in America, you know. So we prayed. Well, the next Friday I came down for breakfast and my daughter was in charge of breakfasts and I said, Carolina, where's the breakfast? And she said, oh, it's Friday. I said, oh, oh, are we fasting this Friday too? She said, we're fasting every Friday until it wins. And so we kept fasting Friday at a time, through, all through 2009. And I'm working on the film, and I'm getting the interviews. And we first, as a family, practiced making film. I started watching every good documentary I ever heard of and started watching them over and over again. Why is this one good? And, and then why, other ones you put in, you know, and in 10 minutes you pop it out. Like, what, what gets them to eject it in 10 minutes? We've got to make sure we don't do that because we want them to watch it. And so we just studied film and we bought a camera. And we started videoing all the kids and different, interviewing them in different rooms of the house. And I'd have the kids set up the lights and take them down. I'd go, now go set them up in the bedroom upstairs. And, and so we learned how to do all this stuff. And finally, I remember about the 30th day of us shooting interviews of each other, we watched them and we're like, those actually look good. And, and so my wife started calling, getting all the interviews set up, and we went and started flying around. And I'd fly, I'd go to these interviews, you know, having two of my, you know, a nine-year-old and 11-year-old with me to set up the lights and do whatever. And people were like, what is this thing? <laughs> so, well, it's kind of a homeschool project, whatever, which I didn't want to tell them that because then they're not going to want to be involved with it. Um, but we finally got all the interviews and we're editing and now another whole year has gone by and it's 2010 and we're still fasting every Friday. In January of 2010, all of a sudden, I realized, you know what, I've been working you know, 10 hours a day on this, but in the last month, I have not made any progress as far as getting done. I'm moving things, I'm, it's not coming together. And I was very concerned because our savings had been dropping and I realized maybe I'm, I'm just not capable of this. But I knew I was supposed to do it, but I just, I just can't quite get it together. And, and so, uh, and so I, I just went to, I was desperate. And I, I went to the family. I said, you know what? Daddy's going to fast 
this week. I'd never done anything like that in my life. Because um, I really need God to help show me what to do with this film. And I didn't want even my wife to be as concerned as I was because I realized if he doesn't let me know what to do this week, I'm stopping. I'm not doing this. I, I have to get find, find a job or do something. And so each day I'd go over and pray and then keep working on my stuff. And, and one day went by and I'd come over for lunch and, and, and talk to them while they're eating lunch. I just worked in the office, was above the garage. And they were always, the kids were like, Daddy, did God tell you anything? <laughs> I go, no, not yet. And the two days, three days, four days, five days, six days, just nothing. I'm still just totally fogged in and just can't figure out how to put this thing together. The seventh day, I come over for lunch, and I'm supposed to eat that night at 5 o'clock. I told them the week before, next Friday at 5, I'm going to eat. And the kids, did God tell you anything? I go, no. And and this is why this, I'm telling you this testimony because it's so important. I almost ate lunch, and I, but I'm so thankful I didn't. I went back over to my office and I got down on my knees for an hour or two and I said, God, you told me to make this film. And I don't think I'm capable of making this film, so I don't know what to do, but you have to help me if I'm going to finish this because I, I, I just can't quite put my mind around this thing. It's too big. And... About 4.30, 30 minutes before dinner, all of a sudden, as clear as, <laughs> as clear as a light being turned on, I mean, the fog lifted, the clouds parted. My mind was so clear, I remember grabbing for paper off my desk and a pen so I could start writing down. Just, it was just, my mind just cleared up and I knew, oh, first talk about this, then talk about this, then do this, and then do this section, then do, and <clears throat> that's what the film agenda ended up being. And it took me six more months to edit it all into that form and whatever. Um, and he was faithful, as he always will be with you too. Don't forget that. Don't ever give up on him. Keep doing what you're supposed to do. Ask him for help. But be faithful even when it looks like he's not going to help because he is nothing but faithful. He has a different time frame than we do, but he is always faithful. Don't forget that. Well... We finally finished the film, had a day of Thanksgiving. It was in July. We had a big turkey dinner and everything. We were so grateful to be done. And uh, we realized, boy, now how do we get this out to the American people? We lived out in the middle of nowhere in Idaho, a little farm in Idaho. And we're like, how do we get this? So we, we had learned so much from fasting and praying every Friday for that year. I encourage you to do that if you have heavy burdens on your heart. Um, just, just working at that. It, God just loves that, and it grows you in a different way. Because, again, we had that crisis there then of going, how are we going to get this to the American people? And it was just heavy on us. Like, and I said, wait, wait, we, we've learned. We asked God, and we knelt down in our living room, and we took the DVD, and we said, God, we're giving you our loaves and fishes, and we're asking you to feed the 5,000, because we can't. And... I could go on for hours about all the ways that little film spread all over this country. Um, and we've had about 25 million people come to showings of it or watch it on the internet. We've, it, it's just been amazing. That's how I got to know Pastor Dwight. He saw the film and he bought 700 copies of it. He thought it was so good. And he started selling it here through the church and then he had me come speak. And it, just everything, the conference I was at yesterday, those people, it was from the film and stuff. But it was so neat because then later at the end of, Oct uh, end of October of 2010, we went to that festival, that big one in Texas, that we'd entered our film in and thought, you know, who knows what will happen. There's hundreds of films. And when they, when they called out the prize for best of festival and the $101,000 grand prize, they said, would agenda please come forward? God answered that prayer. He didn't do it for me because I didn't have the faith, but he did it for my children. Because I remember when we were getting off the stage, I, I couldn't believe it. I said, can you believe God did this? And my daughter, Caroline, said, I knew the first day we prayed he was going to do this, Daddy. I said, and that's why he did it. And I gave them the trophy. I go, it's yours. It is not mine. Because you guys believed and God answered your prayers. And he did that. Um. And it's so important for us to remember that. He's the one that does the great things. That we have to remember. When things look, oh, there's no, we don't have a chance. We're, oh, we're outnumbered. They're, it's just too, it's too big a problem. No, it's not for God. 
It is for us, and he wants it to be for us. Why? Why does he want it to be too big for us? So we'll, so we'll count on him to do it. God, we need you to help us. We always need him to help us. It's just we're under the illusion sometimes we got it all under control. We never have it all under control. Young people don't think for a minute, I've got it all under control. You don't. But there's a God that loves you that does. He has your whole life charted. I mean, he knows what he designed you to do. And if you want to stay on plan A, you've got to just at a young age say, God, I'm all in. I'm all in. You are God, I am man, and I will serve you. Tell me what to do. And you'll never regret it. You might be scared at some times. You might be uncomfortable. You might have to go against the flow of the culture. You will have to go against. It's okay. He'll be walking right beside you. <laughs> one, one man and God is a majority, right? Didn't Martin Luther say that? I think it's true. It's, God is the only thing that matters. And I just, so one of the points I want to get across in this is I'm encouraging you to obey. Obey the things he's made clear in here. If your parents read Deuteronomy 6 tonight together with your children and look for ways you can better fulfill his admonition to, to, to raise your children, the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and through the, you know, when you rise up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, when you walk along the way, when you, and, and just look at those things. Say, God, would you help us do this? Okay? Young, young people, you know, just you're being pure and innocent. Don't buy the lie of the world. This is what I tell my kids all the time. Everything the world is offering, what it's like is it's like you haven't eaten in a week. And there's this big, huge chocolate bar sitting on the table. And the temptations are like that chocolate bar. You look at it, you go, that looks really good. But what God said in this word is about that chocolate bar, those temptations that are not the right thing at the right time. He said, he let us know, he's so kind. He said, I want you to know the chocolate bar is filled with poison. So don't eat it. I know it looks good. And I know your, your flesh is attracted, but say no to it. Trust me, because it has poison in it. And it might kill you in six months or it might be in 10 years, but you shall surely die. Because when you go, when, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Don't even be tempted by the candy bar now that God's told you, oh, that it's, there, there's poison in it. Yeah, it's going to taste good. And for a short season, but then I'm going to die. Well, that's not, I don't want to die. I want to have a meaningful, wonderful life. So I am going to go, no thank you to the candy bar. And it's going to get easier and easier over, over time for me to do that. Once I realize it's poison, I'm like, what kind of fool is going, I'm just eating it anyway. Now I realize some people are ignorant, don't realize it's poison. It's, and you see them because they haven't gotten instruction from their parents or weren't raised in a good family. They eat the candy bar and their life becomes a mess and God can save them out of that and do whatever. But as Christians, if you were raised in this church where they're teaching the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, you have no excuse. You have absolutely no excuse to go eat the candy bar when you've been told, and Pastor Dwight has told you, it's poison. Do not eat the poison, Right? It's because God loves us he gives us the rules, not because he's trying to keep us. The world will tell you, oh, you Christians can't have any fun. That's a lie. He wants us to have all the fun by doing the right thing at the right time in the right place. And he's designed it all to do it perfectly. Um, and so just, just remember that. Um, it's, uh, it, it's just the obedience is important. And then also I want you to know that the I don't think any of us as Christians pray near as much as we should. I think all of us, when we die and stand before God and we see him for who he is on his throne, we're going to go, he, he was listening to my every word. He, he, he was there and he actually cared about me personally and I wasn't talking to him 24-7. What kind of fool was I to think I, I, I got it? Just pray, just commit to pray more often. Just a little prayer time, 15 minutes a day. Just get on your knees, young people, by your beds before you go to bed. And just write, start writing a list of every burden, every care, 
and just leave it by your bed so the next night you know, remember the things to pray about and then you can, the thing he's answers, you can put a little date and he answered that prayer and just keep a little journal going. And I started doing that in 1999 when he, God started to really get a hold of me. And I've got books now, I mean, a thousand pages of answered prayer requests with the date. I just, and it always reminds me, each time I open it up and start reading through the ones that haven't been answered yet to pray. It reminds me, oh yeah, that's right, I gotta pray for so-and-so. Or, and so it reminds you, but get in a prayer journal, you'll be able to then, as you get, even a year or two goes by, you'll have this book and you'll go, hey, and you know what it teaches you? God's just not the God of Abraham, he's my God. I don't have to just open the Bible to see his faithfulness. I'll open my little prayer journal and see he has been faithful to me individually. It's not just somebody else, and he will be faithful to you. You'll see it in there if you're willing to throw all of your cares on him because he cares for you. If you just write those down and do that, all of you, I don't care what what your age is. It's something my daughter said, Daddy, who's getting that prayer journal when you die? I don't know. They go, we want that thing. So we have a history of our fa- God, God's faithfulness to our family. And I said, well, that's, maybe we'll make a copy of it for everybody because he has been faithful, and it glorifies him, not us. Just thousands of requests, God help us, God help us, or help so-and-so. Or help. And then you see, it might be three years later, he finally answered it, and you write the answer in there. And many times you see he did not answer it the way you wanted it to be answered. But five more years goes by, and I write back another date underneath it. God, thank you for not answering my prayer request. Now I see why you didn't. Thank you. I mean, so he, again, he can be trusted 100%. Don't, don't, 100%. If you're doubting that, that's Satan just trying to just throw those little darts at you, and, oh, God's not going to, he doesn't care about you. You're not important to him. <laughs> you mean everything to him. And don't forget that. I'm going to tell you one last story in closing and I have so many things I could talk about, but this is several years ago. The importance of sharing the gospel. Always keep a few tracks on you or whatever. Um, there's some of the chick tracks that I think are good. They're the little cartoon ones, and people read them because they have these little stories, but then they present the gospel in them, and there's different ones. But um, I'll never forget this. Again, it's the importance of just obeying what God's told you to do in sharing the gospel. One time we were, we were coming home from church, and I think we stopped at the grocery store, and we're getting some groceries, and it was a packed parking lot. And... Um, there was a, a guy on a Harley that was just a rough-looking character. And the kids in the van, they, my kids said, Daddy, that guy really needs to hear about Jesus. I'm like, yeah, he sure does. You know, and we're going shopping in the store, and, and we come out. And, and he happened to be getting on his motorcycle ride as we were getting back in our car. And, um, and they said, Daddy, there's that guy. Um, well, he needs to hear about Jesus. I'm like, yeah, kids, he sure does, you know. But he got on his motorcycle and he took off. And I was kind of like, <laughs> do they, do they want me to go over there and talk to him or what? I don't know. And so, and so we, we started pulling out of the parking lot. And it was congestion. And all of a sudden we're at the stoplight to get out of this parking lot and people all behind us. And the kids go, Daddy, that guy on the Harley is behind us. Even though he left before us, he just got lost, tied up in the parking lot. I go, oh, that's great. You know, and the light turns green and we start going. And we come to the next light, and the kids go, and he's still behind us, but it's, it's a red light, and you don't get out of your car a red light, and you go, Daddy, that guy's still behind us. You need to give him a track. And I just, my conviction was this, I don't want my kids to ever think that I'm embarrassed about Jesus. So that's why I got out of the car. I was like, oh, this is terrible, embarrassing, what do I do? So I literally get out of the car. Of course, the second I step out of the van, the light turns green. You know, and the people start going in front of me, but I'm like, I'm committed now. I've got the track. And I walk back behind me. I'm like, I, I see him. He just stares at me. I didn't know what to say. Uh, so I was like, boy, that's a nice motorcycle. <laughs> He's like, thanks. And I said, here's something that you have to read. It is so important. And he just kind of took it. He didn't say anything. He just kind of put his hand there, took it, got back in the car and, and, and took off. And I'm like, whew, thankful. Well, we, we're down the road about five miles. And all of a sudden, the kids, I'm just driving, we're driving home. We come to another stoplight. 
and the kids go, Daddy, the Harley guy's pulling up beside you. I was like, oh, no. I mean, I see him in my rearview mirror. He's coming, just, it's out of, you know, there's 150 cars backed up. He's just pulling along all beside them all up to my window. He's finally there. I'm like, I'm getting ready to get yelled at or something. I put the window down, I turn. And the man had tears streaming down his face. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, I've made a mess of my life. And I'm sitting there, you know, okay. And he goes, and last night, I prayed, God, help me. And you gave me this. And I said, you get off that motorcycle. Jesus Christ died for you. And, and it was unbelievable to me. Unbelievable. We need to pay attention when the Holy Spirit's prodding us. The person that looks like the most unlikely candidate for, is the most likely. Why do they look like that? Because they're desperate. They're so lost. They've tried everything. And they're just, what's the point of this thing? And I found that to be true. The older I've gotten, the more I've had the boldness to walk up to people that look like they're not going to have any interest in this, to find more of a soft heart there than the guy that looks like he's got it all together and he's like, get away from me or whatever. And so we got to do that. But that's the Holy Spirit. So we want it to be sent. We want our hearts to grow sensitive. So we hear that little still small voice. We're like, oh, see, my kids were being sensitive to that. They were like, dad, that guy needs to, you know, I wasn't. But I'm so thankful. I obeyed when I was convicted. I didn't want to embarrass, think my kids, let my kids think I was embarrassed about Jesus. God wants to use us. He's the one that was working the guys up. We didn't have to do anything but be faithful to tell them about Jesus. God, God the whole, you can't save anybody, so don't have that burden on you. You can simply be a light so they can see Jesus makes a difference because your life, your life is different and then be faithful to go... I want to give this to you. Please read it. It is so important. It tells you what God did and why he died for you. I mean, whatever stage you are, whatever you can say to get it into their hands. So if you learn to talk to them a little bit, a lot of times it's not as scary as you think. I've had hundreds of great conversations with people that I thought, I don't know how this is going to go, but I need to, I would feel like, Oh, that guy who was sitting on the curb over there, I needed to talk to him. And so I would go talk to him. And I'm, every time I was like, I'm so glad I did that. I never once was like, oh, that was a mistake, ever. So do it. Be faithful in that. The best way to remove the darkness from America is for us to shine our lights and to help spread the lights and light more lights by spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, it's selfish of us to be so fearful to not tell others about the gold mine we found in Jesus and just keep it to ourselves. That's not right. That's not loving. That's not loving our neighbor like we're supposed to, right? And I know this is convicting to you because it's convicting to me, even telling you this. But we got to one day at a time keep work at being faithful. Invite them to church. Just be kind and loving. Even when you go out to eat, always leave a track. Always, always leave a track. That's just an easy, with a good tip. A tip that's way above what it should be. So again, why? So it makes Jesus look good. <laughs> it's, it's about him. <laughs> and so we need to do that. So I got off of some of the agenda stuff there, but um, I just wanted to share those things with you because... Um, God is just, I look back at my life. He's been so faithful to us. We are the most average family ever. I can't believe I'm up here talking in front of you. I think I literally turned 40 years old never having given a speech in my entire life. I was scared to death to do that. But then God at like 42 when I became a representative just threw me right into the fire and said, I need you to start opening your mouth for me. I said, as long as I'm talking about something important that's, that's you, I, I can do that. I, I don't have anything to say on my own, but I will talk about the truth because um, he is the truth, right? I love you all, and I'm, I'm thankful for you. Keep, keep being plugged in here, supporting what's going on, but being involved in what's going on, but always make sure you're tempering that in, in your, all the other things of your life with being faithful with your families. And dads, if you've blown it in areas, that's okay, we all do. 
But the most powerful thing you can do to turn that blowing into a good thing is just tell, admit it to your family. If you, if you don't have family devotions faithfully and you know you should, hey, kids, you know what? I've kind of blown. Would you forgive me? I'm telling you, then God takes something we do like he does all of our sin. Once we give it to him and repent of it, he takes our sin and turns it into a blessing where we can use it as a good example then of someone humble enough to apologize and, and to, to do that. But he's given you the authority to lead your families. And I know it's a huge responsibility that we're not capable of doing if he's not helping us. But do it. Do it. You'll never regret it. And if you've blown it, it's okay. Start today. But, but just, just do it for him. And that's why we're doing it, so we can have the multi-generational faithfulness to him. So whenever he comes back, we, we were together. We had a plan. And we, we had a purpose. And, and if he wants to tarry longer so we have more time to, to spread the gospel, good. We'll just keep being faithful generation after generation um, because he's worth it. Let's close in prayer. Dear God, just thank you for who you are. Thank you for just how wonderful you are. Thank you for the Bible where we know what we're supposed to do and we know what we're not supposed to do. Help everyone here and everyone listening over the internet just to, to know that you have a purpose. You, you, you knit them together for a specific reason and help them to ask you what that is and to do it so that you as our commanding officer will be in charge of engaging the enemy that is trying to spread darkness and we will be able to spread light in an organized fashion using the abilities and skills that you've given us each. And um, I just th thank you for using me the way you have and I, I pray that I'll always be faithful to serve you, to do things to glorify you. And we love you very much. In Jesus' name, amen. Selfish of us to be so fearful, to not tell others about the gold mine we found in Jesus and just keep it to ourselves. That's not right. That's not loving. That's not loving our neighbor like we're supposed to, right? And I know this is convicting to you because it's convicting to me, even telling you this. But we got to one day at a time keep work at being faithful. Invite them to church. Just be kind and loving. Even when you go out to eat, always leave a track. Always, always leave a track. That's just an easy, with a good tip. A tip that's way above what it should be. So again, why? So it makes Jesus look good. It's, it's about him. And so we need to do that. So I got off of some of the agenda stuff there, but um, I just wanted to share those things with you because... Um, God is just, I look back at my life, he's been so faithful to us. We are the most average family ever. I can't believe I'm up here talking in front of you. I think I literally turned 40 years old never having given a speech in my entire life. I was scared to death to do that. But then God at like 42, when I became a representative, just threw me right into the fire and said, I need you to start opening your mouth for me. I said, right, as long as I'm talking about something important that's, that's you, I, I can do that. I, I don't have anything to say on my own, but I will talk about the truth because um, he is the truth, right? right. I love you all, and I'm, I'm thankful for you. Keep, keep being plugged in here, supporting what's going on, but being involved in what's going on, but always make sure you're tempering that in, in your, all the other things of your life with being faithful with your families. And dads, if you've blown it in areas, that's okay, we all do. But the most powerful thing you can do to turn that blowing into a good thing is just tell, admit it to your family. If you, if you don't have family devotions faithfully and you know you should, hey kids, you know what, I've kind of blown it, would you forgive me? I'm telling you, then God takes something we do like he does all of our sin. Once we give it to him and repent of it, he takes our sin and turns it into a blessing where we can use it as a good example then of someone humble enough to apologize and, and to, to do that. But he's given you the authority to lead your families. And I know it's a huge responsibility that we're not capable of doing if he's not helping us. But do it, do it. You'll never regret it. And if you've blown it, it's okay. Start today. But, but just, just do it for him. And that's why we're doing it, so we can have the multi-generational faithfulness to him.
So whenever he comes back, we, we were together. We had a plan. And we, we had a purpose. And, and if he wants to tarry longer so we have more time to, to spread the gospel, good. We'll just keep being faithful generation after generation um, because he's worth it. Let's close in prayer. Dear God, just thank you for who you are. Thank you for just how wonderful you are. Thank you for the Bible where we know what we're supposed to do and we know what we're not supposed to do. Help everyone here and everyone listening over the internet just to, to know that you have a purpose. You, you, you knit them together for a specific reason and help them to ask you what that is and to do it so that you as our commanding officer will be in charge of engaging the enemy that is trying to spread darkness and we will be able to spread light in an organized fashion using the abilities and skills that you've given us each. And um, I just th thank you for using me the way you have and I, I pray that I'll always be faithful to serve you, to do things to glorify you. And we love you very much. In Jesus' name, amen.